Well, good morning, faith family. If you have a Bible, if you would please turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. We're continuing this morning in our series that we're calling Mixtape. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at a variety of different psalms uh, in the scriptures that are, are songs that are collected for us to sing at different times in our life. How, how many of you have been encouraged with the psalms thus far? Great, great. It's, it, I feel like we've like struck a nerve. We've had a lot of just emails and people pouring in testimonies where different psalms have really spoke to them, and that's what the psalms do. The psalms have different uh, seasons, different focuses, and so uh, it's a collection for us to be able to use and sing no matter what we go through. Well, Psalm 42, my goodness, is one of the most practical psalms I think that we'll look at in this entire series. I, I trust that you're going to be uh, encouraged this morning as we look at Psalm 42. So please stand, if you're able to, at, for the honor of reading God's Word. This comes to us with the very authority of God. And the psalmist writes here, verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude-keeping festival. But why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, of Hermon, the Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And by day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, You knew we'd need this psalm. You knew we'd need to sing this song. And so in Your grace, You have given it to us now for our study, our meditation, our enjoyment, our hope. So come, Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. To the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Erica Hernandez was just, um, just an ordinary hairstylist in Mexico City until her heart made her famous. You see, Erica was born with a heart defect. Uh, they informed her at age 28 that she was in such a critical condition that if she did not have a heart transplant immediately, she would die. 
Fortunately for her, there was an automobile accident that resulted in the loss of a man's life and a heart became available for her about 300 miles away from the hospital that she was a patient at. Because time was of the essence, they transported that heart by helicopter. In fact, here's a clip of the helicopter actually arriving at the hospital where Erica was a patient. You'll notice the medical personnel are unloading the heart here in this cooler. And what you're going to notice is they're in such a hurry to get to the hospital, something happens. They dropped her heart. Now, I can't even begin to imagine what they must have felt like in that moment. I mean, can you imagine being in a situation where you know someone's life is on the line and you drop their heart? Well, fortunately for Erica, the heart was not damaged. The transplant was actually successful. Here's a picture of her after the transplant. And uh, it also goes to show you that the three-second rule does apply. (laughs) It applies to gum, food, and evidently internal organs, all right? But... What, what struck me about this story was the nickname that Erica was given after that event. The headlines referred to her as the patient with a dropped heart. I thought about that and I thought, you know what, very few of us here this morning have ever been caught on TV dropping someone's heart. But I bet a lot of you have had your heart dropped. You know what I'm talking about? That, that time when, when you were burdened about something. That time when, when sadness started creeping in. That time when you were tempted to give over into spare, despair. A time when it literally felt like your heart was on the ground. If you've ever felt like that, that's exactly how the psalmist in Psalm 42 feels. He is a troubled man. He feels like his heart has been dropped. His soul is troubled. Make no mistake, this guy is in the dark hour of the soul. He is not having a bad hair day. He is not grumpy because his team lost. He didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He is fighting for hope. He's the psalmist with a dropped heart. And I am so thankful Psalm 42 is in the Bible. And here's why. I I don't know if it was intentional, but for some reason growing up in the church, it was almost as though we were not allowed to be really honest about the deep, dark questions of the soul. I'm talking about when people's faith are on the line and they're fighting for every last spiritual breath. Because a lot of Christians, dear friends, want to bury their hand in the the sands of optimism. They want a life of sugar and spice and everything's nice and marriages don't fight and, and children always obey and relationships are never messy. But that's not life in a fallen world. It's just not. In fact, the Bible, like passages like Psalm 42, invite us in to be really honest that the world around us is broken and we are broken and that means we go through seasons of despair. Look at it. Notice how the psalmist describes the condition of his soul. Verse 3. 
My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? This psalmist is troubled in his soul. His heart is on the ground. He is suffering, faith family, from what Martin Lloyd-Jones calls spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. Not physical depression. Although spiritual depression can affect you physically. In fact, I take from verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, that this man can't sleep. It's affected him so much physically. Like, I, I can't go to bed all day long. I fill my pillow with tears. It's a spiritual depression, not a physical depression, not a chemical imbalance, and I'm not denying that reality. I'm simply saying that's not what's happening in Psalm 42. It is a condition of his soul. And what we might be tempted to do is say, yep, this is what happens with weak Christians. This is what happens with the spiritually immature. This is what happens when you're in sin. Be very careful. Be very careful. Yes, sometimes we go through things like this because we are in sin, but that is not always the case. If you take a closer look at your Bible, what you're going to discover is many of the great servants of God went through times like this. David, many of his psalms, though some are written because he was in sin, many of them are written simply because he was in a season of despair. Jeremiah, do you remember Jeremiah's nickname? He was known as the weeping prophet. He wrote a book. Do you know what the title of the book was? Lamentations. Read Acts chapter 18. The Apostle Paul, this great leader, great missionary, was so, and I don't know why this is oddly encouraging to me, was so discouraged in the ministry after leaving Athens that God had to come to him in the Spirit by a vision and say, Paul, I'm still with you because he was so discouraged. Not only is this true by many of the great servants in the Bible, this is also true by many of God's great servants throughout church history. I could spend the rest of our day today giving you many examples of that. I'll give you two. The first is a man by the name of William Cooper. How many of you have heard the hymn, uh, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein? Show of hands. Well, that hymn was written by William Cooper, who struggled deeply with spiritual depression. He wrote on one occasion the following, quote, I was struck with such a dejection of spirit. Day and night I was upon the rack, lying down in horror, rising up in despair. I presently lost all relish, that is all desire, for those studies to which before I had been closely attached. I was so discouraged, like I couldn't even study the very Word of God I love. I could tell you about Charles Spurgeon. You know, one of my great heroes in church history, Charles Spurgeon, a pastor. Spurgeon struggled with depression so much that sometimes it was a fight to come preach. And I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I can't say thank the Lord for 
Psalm 42 that allows us to be honest if I'm not honest. I get up here and I go crazy and I am passionate about God's Word because I love this, but there are moments in my study of dark hours where it's a fight to do this. There are Sunday afternoons you don't want to be in the car with me riding home because of the attack and sometimes the despair of, how do people even come listen to this? Like, nobody's going to show up next week. That's an odd thing for you to laugh at, all right? (laughs) Pouring out my soul here, you're giving me nothing, right? Spurgeon wrote about this as a pastor who every week had to preach. He said, sometimes I was the means of God's hand of healing a man who suffered with a desponding spirit. I have been myself depressed and I have felt an inability to shake it off. This is real. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you know it is. A spiritual depression. And we know it's not always an issue of spiritual immaturity or or sin or just weakness in the Christian life. In fact, look how the psalm starts. Verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. I thirst, my thirst for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? This man is passionate about God. He wants God. He isn't spiritually immature. He, like the best illustration that I can give is a dehydrated deer searching for water, any water, a stream of water, a puddle of water for God. He's not spiritually immature. He he has a thirst for God. And then you would say, well, then why is someone who is so passionate for God so troubled? You're going to find this encouraging. Number one is he feels like God is absent. Verse 9. I say to God, my rock. So God's my rock here. But here's what I say to him. Why have you forgotten me? Christian, talk to me. Have you ever been there? Do you know what that season of life is like when you just want to be honest for a moment? Even though they say at church you shouldn't ask these kind of questions, you want to ask, God, where are you? Seriously, come on. I pray, and it doesn't seem like it helps. I sing, I don't feel anything. I I thirst for you like a deer thirsts for water, and I can't even get a drop. This psalmist wants God's presence, but what he feels he's getting is absence. And it's troubled his soul. It's allowed his heart To drop on the ground. Have you been there? I've been honest. Will you be honest? Have you ever served God? Have you ever loved God? Have you ever been here worshiping God and felt like God was nowhere to be found? And you wanted to be as honest as the Psalms are honest. Like in Psalm 44. Listen to this one. Psalm 44, beginning at verse 23. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Like, does your alarm clock not work? 
Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Here's one of the things I love about our faith family because, listen, and particularly if you're new here visiting with us, we're all about the gospel of Jesus. And here's what the gospel of Jesus allows us to do. It allows us to be free. Don't you love that we can come in this place right now and we're not being fake about the struggle of faith? We're not just going to tiptoe around and act like, oh, the world is just as it should be and my life is just as it should be. No, you go through seasons of darkness. Partly because sometimes it feels like God is nowhere, anywhere close. Now part of the reason this psalmist feels so like God is absent is because he's separated from the people of God. We we get a glimpse into this in verse 4. Look at it. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. So there's that honesty again. We're laying it out. How I would go with the throng, that is the group of people, and lead them in the procession of the house of God, so he's likely a worship leader, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So here's what we know. The the psalmist was from the south. God's country. I meant Jerusalem in the southern kingdom, Judah. I don't know what you're laughing about. I, I wasn't meaning anything else by that. Now, I have to be honest, when I was driving in this morning, I thought my verse 4 would read like this. Oh, I remember a time when I ate real barbecue. I remember a time when the tea was sweet and the sports teams won. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's just wrong. They're not any better in Tennessee either, right? This guy's from the south. That is the southern kingdom, Judah, because the temple was in Jerusalem, But for whatever reason, to coin a phrase, he went up north. We don't know why, but he's up north and he's separated from temple worship. He's separated from the people of God. And that has aided to why he feels God is so distant. Which begs the question, what significance is what we're doing here right now? Does this have any value whatsoever in your weekly walk of faith? It better. When you miss several weeks, do you notice a difference at all in your walk of faith? You should. It's by the way, while I don't enjoy the discouraging circumstances that people are in, I love hearing testimonies where people will say, I woke up and all signs were don't go to church, don't go to church. It was such a terrible week. I just didn't even feel like worshiping. And then they will say, but for whatever reason I came and I left renewed. I got an email this week and I will not share the specifics or the details, but it was a family member that was describing, quote, a devastating situation of another family member of theirs who comes here to Berean. And they said that even in this devastating situation, as we come to church, speaking of this family member, here's what they said. She walks away so encouraged knowing God is faithful. Amen? Here's the deal. Her circumstances did not change one bit when she walked in that door. But her perspective did. They say in this culture you can be a good Christian without the gathering of the people of God. My response to that is baloney. 
That may be popular, it ain't biblical. You were created for the gathering of people to worship God. This psalmist feels like God is absent, partly because he is separated from the people of God, and it has troubled his soul. Here's the second thing. It's not only does he feel like God is absent, he feels like his trials are constant. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Translation, it's one thing after another. Wave after wave after wave after wave keeps crashing into my life. And I feel like I'm going to drown. And all I want to say is enough. Enough. Have you ever felt like you were under the waterfall of suffering? That trial after trial after trial after trial kept slamming into your life and it troubled your soul. Like you're informed you didn't get into the college of your choice and you're informed of your parents' irreconcilable differences in the same week. You lose a a parent to death, a child to college, and your job in the same year. Your car won't start, your kids won't listen, and your husband won't answer, and it's not even 9 a.m. Have you ever felt like you were under the waterfall of trials and suffering when sorrows like sea billows roll? I will never forget getting the call one weekday morning that said, Wes, you need to get to the hospital. They've taken Gail by ambulance. Gail was the mom of two teenage girls in my youth group. I walked through those emergency room doors and I was met with the news that Gail didn't make it. I was there when the girls walked in and over the next several weeks we cried together and we prayed together and we fought for faith together. Six months later, their father had to have open-heart surgery. He didn't make it through the surgery. Six months. Mom, gone. Dad, gone. You ever felt like you were under the waterfall of suffering? And it troubled his soul. God, I've had enough. It's bad enough that I don't even feel you're with me. It's completely another thing that I feel like these trials won't stop. And if that weren't bad enough, my opponents, they're taunting my faith. They're they're mocking that I believe in you. Notice what he says. While they, verse 3, say to me all day long, where is your God? (laughs) Listen to verse 9. Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here's what he's saying. Because I'm under the waterfall of suffering, people are looking at me and saying this, boy, God must really love you. 
Look at your life. Because moralism is our default condition, we tend to always say, when the circumstances of my life are bad, I must have done something wrong. Where is your God in this? You mean you seriously mean you're going to pray? Doesn't look like prayer is doing you any good. And before long, that taunting, that mocking begins to affect our thinking. Because I've talked to people who've said this, maybe it didn't take. I mean, Pastor, I put my faith in Jesus Christ six months ago, and circumstantially, my life has only gotten worse. Maybe God doesn't love me after all. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Why is this man so troubled? It's not because he's spiritually immature. It's not because he's in sin. It's because he can't feel God. But what he can feel is the aggressive assault of suffering and the aggressive persecution of others mocking his faith. And you know what he says? He says, God, I'm troubled. But then he does something that is... Unbelievably practical and unbelievably profound. Are you ready? Here's what he does. He talks to himself. He talks to himself. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Do you see it there? He's having a conversation with himself. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Same thing in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. He talks to himself. Listen to how Martin Lloyd-Jones describes this in Psalm 42. Um, In a book that he's entitled Spiritual Depression, here's what he writes. This is so good. Have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? You are talking to you. Now this man, that is the psalmist, his treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. You need to have a conversation with yourself in the dark hour of the soul. I might encourage you not to do this out loud in the aisle of Walmart or Byerly's, lest people think you are crazy. But nevertheless, you need to have a conversation with yourself. Here's the point right here, faith family, right here. The greatest sermon you'll hear all week is not the one I preach to you. It's the one you will preach to you. I hope my sermon aids you in what you should preach to you, but that will be the most influential sermon you hear all week. You know why? Because you're the most influential person in your life. Not a parent, not a teacher. Not a pastor, you are. Do you know why? Because you talk to you more than anybody else. What are you saying? What gospel are you preaching? What truth are you constantly saying? Feltner, get over here. Give me just a second. 
Buddy, I gotta have a conversation with you. We gotta talk about some things. I know that you're downcast. I know that you're troubled, but I'm going to speak some truth into you because you're not gonna be led by your, your, your emotions. They failed the third grade. I'm gonna talk to myself and I'm gonna tell myself the truth. When's the last time you've had that kind of conversation with yourself? And the psalm shows us three things that we need to talk to ourselves about. And the first is this. You need to talk to yourself about the past. I take this from verse 4. These things I remember. Do you notice that phrase, I remember? As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Right here. Here's what the psalmist is doing. I don't feel God in this moment, but if I stop for a moment and remember what it was like to be with the people of God, voices filled the room. The presence of God was so present with us. What he does is he begins to gather all those milestones of God's faithfulness and he begins to worship God who has been present throughout his life. One of the best things you can do when you are in the dark hour of the soul, note this, is to share your testimony. I don't care if it's with your spouse. I don't care if it's with your neighbor. I don't care who it's with. But when you begin to share your testimony, you begin to stir up what? Here's who I was apart from Christ. Here's how I came to faith in Christ. Here's how my life has changed as a result of Christ. And you begin to remember that God has been with you. When in the moment, it feels like He's not. Here's the second thing you need to have a conversation with yourself about, and that is you need to talk to yourself about God. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. In other words, you need to have a conversation about yourself or with yourself about who God is. Now right here, faith family, this is really important. I'm not talking about the God that your pastor tells you about. I'm not talking about the God that your parents raised you to believe. I'm not talking about the, parent, the, 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 the God that you know, your Sunday school teacher taught you to believe in. I'm talking about God as he has revealed himself in his word. And you begin to talk to yourself about who he is based on how he's revealed himself. It goes like this. First of all, you talk to yourself about the fact that God is sovereign. Isn't it interesting that in verse 7 he says, all your breakers and your waves. Hmm. You ever heard the debate of does God allow suffering or does God ordain suffering? Here's my answer. Yes. Because at the end of the day it doesn't matter. I could actually argue both from the Scripture, but you get to the same result, and here it is. He doesn't stop them from happening. And He could. So what does the psalmist take comfort in? These may be hard waves, but they're your waves. I may be under the flood, but I'm not outside your sovereign hand. 
He reminds himself, he talks to himself about God and God's sovereignty, but he also talks to himself about God and God's love. Verse 8 when he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. Feltner, hold on a second, I've got to have a conversation with myself. I know that you feel downcast. I know that you feel like God isn't with you. But here's what you know. You know God loves you. Because page after page after page is screaming to you that God has a steadfast love for you. You may be under the waterfall of suffering, but you're not outside His love. Amen? Isn't this practical? In the dark hour of the soul, we have a conversation with ourselves about all the faithfulness of God in the past. We have a conversation about what we know about God based on His Word. Not our feelings, not what other people are saying, not what the culture believes, but how God has revealed Himself and we believe it. And here's the third and final thing you need to talk to yourself about, and that is your future your future hope. Notice both in verse 5 and verse 11 this phrase. After he asked the question, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? He says, hope in God. And then he says this, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In other words, whatever I'm going through right now, this isn't going to be the end. I will feel God again. I will praise Him again. The waterfall will stop. The, 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 the deadly wounds of my opponents, they're going to go away. This is a season that I'm in, but this season doesn't define me. Somebody say amen. I got a future that is a hopeful future, and I'm believing that soul. Do not think your future is determined by your present. Wake up, soul. Hope in God. I'm going to again praise Him. Why? God says I will. I believe I have seen His faithfulness in the past. I know who He is. His character is absolutely rock solid. That means I'm going to get out of this. I will, I will, I will hope in God. It's a fight. It's a fight, but it's a fight that you win with a glorious future. Read 1 Peter 1. Christians going through enormous trials and suffering, and what does Peter say? Well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. No. You know what he says? There is an inheritance kept for you in heaven that is unfading and it's going to be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your now will not be your future. Talk to yourself. Quit letting yourself dominate the conversation and you dominate the conversation with yourself. I know it's totally odd But it's beautiful. And it's what we must do in the dark hour of the soul. And I want to end with this by saying, if the psalmist can fight for hope, how much more can we? Think about this. 
we have more information than the psalmist does. We actually have something, or should I say someone, that we can look to that the psalmist in Psalm 42 would not have fully understood. You say, how is it that we can know that there is hope for the troubled soul? How can we know that we will ultimately be triumphant and find that hope? Think of this. When you hear the psalmist here in Psalm 42, in in verse 1, cry out in anguish, I thirst... That ought to sound familiar. When you hear the psalmist here in verse 3 speak about being taunted and mocked by his opponents, that ought to sound familiar. When you hear in verse 7 the psalmist talk about waves of suffering one after another, that ought to sound familiar. When you hear the psalmist in verse 9 ask, Why have you forsaken me? That ought to sound familiar. Don't you understand, faith family, what the psalmist did not know then, but we know now is there is hope for the troubled soul. His name is Jesus because he became a troubled soul. You know why there's hope in your suffering? Because Jesus came into your suffering. Do you know why there's hope for your brokenness? Because Jesus came into a broken world and allowed himself to be broken. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the ultimate hope for your troubled soul. Do you know why? Because I'm telling you, Not if, but when. You feel like you've been abandoned. Jesus says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Are you hearing me? Not if, but when. You feel like wave after wave after wave is crashing onto your life. Only Jesus is able to say, peace, be still. Not if, but when it feels like your heart has been dropped to the ground. Only Jesus can say to you, let not your heart be troubled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for passages like Psalm 42 that allow us to be honest. Spirit, Give us the freedom today to have this kind of honesty in our heart and in our soul. You already know. And you invite us in to pour out our soul like the psalmist does. God, if there's one here this morning and they don't feel your presence, oh, that they would would come to you now. If there is one here this morning and they are under that waterfall of suffering, oh, that they would find hope in you now. If there is one here this morning and they have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, the dilemma of their soul is that they're going to spend eternity separated from God. Oh, Spirit, that you would draw them to find hope in Jesus right now. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God I shall praise again. My salvation, my God. Give us, give us that song. 
in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.